We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Brandon Kelly, the host of Blue Wire's new podcast, Golden Goal. Messi takes everybody on. Messi has got it! From Lionel Messi to Marta to Pele, our show takes a deep dive into soccer superstars. 2-0 and he's... What a World Cup for Megan Rapinoe! From Zlatan Ibrahimovic's brash confidence with the play to back it up, to Megan Rapinoe's heroic outspokenness and World Cup flair... Each episode examines a personality of the world's game. We'll dig into Maradona's Hand of God performance and subsequent downfall. The teenage trio at Dortmund that signaled the next generation of superstars. And that infamous headbutt that slung Zinedine Zidane from glory. Golden Goal. Soccer stars and the moments that made them. Premiering this summer on Blue Wire. The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder Drew Gear. Be aggressive. You have literally nothing to lose. You're a borderline football team. If I don't keep laughing about this stuff, my teeth are going to turn around and devour my brain. The Bills make me wanna. Neither are spectacular athletes at the running back position. They're good enough to play in the league, but it's their vision and footwork and their aggression that compensates for that lack of top-shelf athletic skill. Singletary and Moss, both guys are, are physical players willing to get physical, but Moss is more of a bruiser, whereas Singletary is a little bit more of a, a guy who's going to look for that open space and try and avoid direct contact. Everybody to another edition of the Rock Pal Report Podcast. I am your host, Bill Season Ticket Holder Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger, and that was just a taste of Matt Waldman and his message to us after the draft about Devin Singletary and Zach, and Zach Moss. Moss. Guys, we're back for another episode of our training camp preview series. Be sure to throw us a follow and a review on and subscribe over at Apple Music, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever it is that you get our podcast. So that the other Bills fans can figure out what you already know. That we're the pettiest, hardest drinking Bills podcast in existence. And that everybody needs a little bit of it in their lives. Chris, fancy conversation calls for a fancy beverage. That's right. Clyde Mays. Clyde Straight Mays. Straight rye whiskey. 
95 proof. You got that for taking me to Rochester to get my car. And as I poured over the clearest chunk of ice I've ever seen in my life, Chris, you're like a cocktail chef over here. That's what I'm here for. We bring in tonight's guest, one of our original guests. When this podcast first got started, Mr. Eric Turner from CoverOne.net. How are you doing, sir? What's going on, boys? Man, it's been a long time. <laughs> I didn't get to see you this summer, unfortunately, when I was home in Buffalo a couple weeks ago, but... I'm glad to join you now and talk uh, talk a little bit little bit of that running back position, brother. Oh my God! I mean, we got a ton of stuff on the docket for tonight. A great conversation. I'm glad to hear you're doing well. Glad to see everything's good over at CoverOne.net. The life is treating you well, and it is. It does suck, you know. And usually we get together over the summer, Chris. We all always go up to Deep South Taco. Deep South Taco. It's my <laughs> favorite time of year because it's the only time I get remotely close to being sociable outside of our <laughs> tailgates. <laughs> And he comes and we all hang out on the patio. It's just nice to get the you know get everybody together, wives, girlfriends, Chris. Yes. <laughs> and everyone gets together. We all <laughs> break bread, have some drinks, have a good time. It's a blast. I'm just glad that even though we couldn't do it this year, that we got to get together and do a little bit of this podcasting. Now, tonight we're here to talk about two positions. Real quickly, the quarterback position, and then we're going to dig into the running back group. I mean, quarterbacks... What is there to really talk about, Chris? Josh Allen is our de facto starter. There's no mystery there. I mean, Chris, think about this. The Bills haven't had a legit quarterback competition since 2015. And that was when Rex Ryan had to try to decide between Tyrod Taylor, Matt Castle, and EJ Manuel. No, that's nightmare fuel. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Looking back at it, like I remember Mark Schlereth, on, uh, he, he was on ESPN, and they were talking about who was going to win the quarterback battle or who was the best quarterback of the group, and he said none of them because none of them belonged in the NFL. That, that was brutal, and I remember being mad about it at the time, but Chris, was he that wrong? No. Spot on. So entering 2020, we already know who QB1 is. Here's the question that I have for you, knowing what you know, Eric, and just how you break down the quarterback position. The Bills drafted quarterback Jake Fromm this year in the draft. Does he bring enough to the table as a rookie with a shortened offseason and a lack of face time with a lot of these players to even slightly push Matt Barkley's quarterback to? Uh, simply put, no. And I do think those things that you mentioned has a lot to do that do with it. I think from a, a you know a physical standpoint. And mental standpoint, by you know, by all means necessary, Fromm and Barkley are probably very similar. But as you can see, Barkley and even Davis Webb, who no one's even talking about, has they have been the guys along with Allen, of course, that have you know uh, you know brought everyone together, brought those receivers, running backs together to to work out and throw together. Um, and and I think that you know while Fromm has a lot of the traits that Barkley has, I don't think this is the year. If if he's going to make the roster, this would be the year. There's just too much up against him. And then, of course, there's all that stuff off the field that he's been dealing with. So I don't think that will really totally affect the locker room and guys trusting him. But I think there are a lot of things against him. And mainly, you know, Matt Barkley and even Davis Webb, because uh, those are two guys that, you know, while they play the same position as Josh Allen, they're also coaches on the field. And, and both guys are probably likely to go into coaching as soon as they retire from the NFL. I mean, that, that's, and that's a valid point. I mean, these are guys who have a mind for football. You watch it. I mean, you watch the way Matt Barkley's taken on a mentorship role with Josh Allen, which, again, I think hurts Fromm's chances of pushing for a roster spot. It's simply who there. I mean, you see that whenever something's going wrong in a game, 
you, you look at the third quarter, Chris, the fourth quarter, Josh Allen and Matt Barkley are attached to the hip on yeah. that sideline. Yeah. Josh has really come to lean on Matt for, I don't even want to say for help, but I think the two of them, there's a synergy there. He kind of feeds off Matt Barkley, and Matt Barkley is a veteran, knowing what he knows about football, can come in and kind of help settle him down, help give him some pointers, some direction. So you can't undervalue that. The thing that I no, see- it- like, the other thing, Drew, not to interrupt you, but no, you go. the other thing about that last year, what happened, you know, the second half of last season when Dable went up to the booth? Well, obviously, if Dable's up in the booth, the quarterback coach, Ken Dorsey's out on the field with Josh Allen, and you got to have another guy in Josh Allen's ear. So if Dable's not down there, that QB2 becomes even more important of being that coach down there with Josh Allen and Ken Dorsey. So having that guy that, you know, is a, a semi-coach on the field, I mean, it's pretty critical especially going into this season with Josh Allen, where he really needs to put it all together. And one of the things you mentioned that's interesting, Davis Webb. You bring his name up, nobody, there's just no Bills fan out there talking about him. One of the things, he's probably slotted ahead of Jake Fromm on the depth chart, and I know that people would like to assume that he's Fromm has to make the final 53 specifically because they drafted him. You know, They used a draft pick on him, so he has to make the roster. I think that's interesting because there is a ton of talent on this roster, Chris. And the way our head coach likes to de- think about it, the way he loves his roster construction, I think is going to have a lot to do with whether or not we even keep three quarterbacks on the final roster at all. Well, I mean, we don't know the uh, the outline of the practice squad yet. So no, all of that's that up could in be the a spot for from that plays well. And this is the thing: you're talking about potentially having to keep five defensive tackles. We know that he loves to rotate his defensive linemen. You've got Harrison Phillips as kind of right now, what, he's somewhere third or fourth? But you signed a Vernon Butler, and you brought in uh, Quentin Jefferson. Jefferson, and you have Annette Oliver, and you have these players. You may end up going into the season, maybe Harrison, maybe they're trying to pad their roster in case Harrison Phillips starts on the pup list, but ultimately you're going to end up in a position where you have five D-tackles. Maybe he keeps five instead of carrying a third quarterback. Last year, he kept seven safeties for most of the season. Yeah. <laughs> and, and there's a lack of NFL experience at the running back position, which makes me think that maybe they might throw some extra bodies at the final roster at that group. I mean, does that make sense, Eric, if it's laid out like that? Yeah, absolutely. And again, you know, Chris hammered at home. It's, it's, there's so much unknown still. I mean, we really don't know how they are going to really adjust the roster, um, you know, obviously in camp and going into the season. So, I mean, there's still a lot up in the air. So I'm not one to, you know, kind of put the, uh, you know, horse before the wagon. But, I mean, it's it's something to think about because I, I do think it's more Fromm versus Davis Webb than it really is Fromm versus Barkley. Because I think, again, I think Barkley is too critical this season for Josh Allen and that offense altogether. So if there's anything we can say about Josh Allen as part of this quarterback conversation heading into training camp, you you had a piece over at Cover One and you've put some things on Twitter, some film and things like that. Tell us a little bit about this in terms of Allen's mechanics and the work that he's put in this offseason and some of it, you, you actually mixed in some baseball, baseball yeah. information in there as it relates to things like launch points and just tiny little tiny little changes to mechanics that ultimately result in a better result on the field. Can you speak to that a little bit? 
Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty fascinating, honestly, and it's something you definitely want to check out because it's a long form article. But um, simply put, I mean, Tom House is is probably the the OG of QB whisperer. You know, he's that guy that's worked with the Drew Breeses, the Tom Brady's, and many many others in the NFL at their mechanics in the offseason. Of course, every quarterback has their coach that they go to in the offseason. And Josh Allen, he sees several of them and talks to several different types of, uh, you know, guys that work the quarterbacks uh, in the offseason. And, you know, I talked to Tom House about, you know, different issues that could arise, not just with the deep ball, which obviously Josh Allen struggled with, but just overall placement. And I'm talking, you know, placement versus general accuracy. Josh Allen generally is accurate. But placement matters when you're trying to put the ball on the front shoulder, leading the player, so they have uh, placement and, and exactly what you want from your quarterback. Well, Josh obviously struggles in that, that department too. And Tom House did 10 years of studies at USC years ago uh, before there were any QB coaches. And so he found basically that the pitching position is eerily similar in movement styles to the quarterback position. And one of the issues that Josh dealt with that really screws up his placement is his balance and his posture. And that generally is related to, um, Tom House calls it, biting the burger. With that front shoulder, with his left hand, he wants that shoulder and that elbow as tight as he can to the body so that when you're throwing, you're rotating on an axis versus, you know, winding up and throwing it, keep your hand, like pointing your, your front and throwing your whole balance off. So with Josh, that's the thing. He has a heck of an arm. And as Jordan Palmer always says, you want to try to tame that or throw governor, uh, governor on that. You know, it's what we call mm-hmm. it uh, with our vehicles too, with the government. But uh, you know, you want to tame that arm, and you want to, you want Allen to be better with his placement. And you know, balance and posture are the big thing with him. He always used to overstride. He's gotten better at that. His base isn't as wide as it used to be. He's not, you know, striding as much. And he used to just throw his weight all over the place so that he could get maximum velocity. But as we all know. Velocity isn't everything when throwing uh, throwing the ball at the NFL level. No, absolutely not. I mean, the piece was, Chris, you're someone. We, we constantly talk about how, you know, Chris is kind of the layman here in terms of the X's and O's of football. It would be an excellent piece for you to go read because it would teach you not only about quarterback mechanics, but also how these small deviations from ideal mechanics can manifest themselves in inaccurate throws. And yeah. some of the ways that Allen looks to improve on those as we head into the season. It's going to be it's a really interesting read. We're going to link it in the show's description. I urge everybody to go check it out. So now, I mean, think about this, though, guys. Like, I mean, Tom House said, you know, one inch of inappropriate head control or eye movement when you're throwing that ball is two inches at the placement point. So I think about that and think and, and translate it to when Josh is thrown down the field and how we struggled to do that last year. A lot of times. You know, teams would screw up his pre to post snap picture. So maybe he started on the left side of the field when really he should have started to the right. He recognizes that after the, after the snap. So now he's trying to scramble and get his eyes and his feet and his platform properly to the right. His eyes are all over the place. And now his eyes and head control are off. And he throws it seven yards over the receiver's head on a go route. So it's little things like that that, as you said, Drew, you know, the tiniest deviation really makes a difference, especially when you're talking about the further downfield that you throw the ball. Chris, go read it. And everybody else who's listening to this. And so with that, we move on to the running back position. I'm going to crack this delicious Utica club as a chaser because Chris is so petty. I brought over some Tostitos with lime chips 
which, and Tostitos salsa, which according to him are both no fly zones. He said those are bush league and not acceptable for his refined palate. You know, as, as you can tell from his mohawk, he's a fancy man. Yeah. So in retaliation, he bought a case of Utica Club and out of sp- I'm not gonna I'm not gonna hew, I'm not I'm not gonna tap on this. I'm gonna drink it just to spite him. <laughs> oh my god! Even cold, it's terrible. But with that, we look at the running back position as a whole. I mean, first let's start by looking at the roster construction. The cap allocation on our running back room: six point six million dollars in total. The percentage of the total cap is just three percent. But when it comes to starters, Chris, I just have a giant question mark there That's, as we break this down. I don't. A it would be one Yeldon. I mean, our GM did call him a three-down back. Oh, oh. oh, you're already breaking that out. Good Lord, this is going to be a long night. We're heading into the 2020 season, and the Bills are ranked 24th in, in the NFL in running back spending, but are just one season removed from yet another strong rushing season. We finished top 10 for the third time in four seasons, and now we've added some fresh blood with some upside. I mean, you have Devin Singletary. He's the first running back that comes to mind. He showed himself to be a solid playmaker. His, I, I, Chris, I want to say he's got amazing change of direction skills. And his co- the contact balance is really what makes him great. Or at least what fueled his rookie season. Because, Chris, how many times did you see him? There was the Cowboys game where he almost gets swallowed up behind the line of scrimmage. But that first tackler can never really bring him down. And somehow, through this inexplicable run where it looks like he traveled nine yards... He just makes it back to the line of scrimmage so we don't lose yardage on the run. Yeah, there's that play in the Houston playoff game where you're like, oh, he's just going to get tackled at the line of scrimmage, and then he made two people miss, and then he got, I think he picked up the first down. He was 30th in attempts in 2019 for running backs, but was 5th in the NFL in yards per attempt, 16th in yards per game, 7th in yards before contact, and 5th in rush attempts per broken tackle. I mean, those are some pretty impressive stats, wouldn't you say, Eric? Yeah, you know, and what's great about him, as you, uh, you know, on top of all the things that you mentioned, is you know his vision, and, he, and he's very patient. And when you have a Bills offense that likes to pull a lot of offensive linemen, again, all five guys can pull. And you know, when those gaps move, when those offensive linemen move, and hypothetically, you know, speaking of the, like the pin and pull run, or even just on a power run, that's moving gaps. And on the defensive side, you always hear McDermott and his staff talk about gap integrity. Well, guess what? Those gaps are moving, and those guys have to flow with those gaps and adjust their assignments. And when you have a guy like Singletary that knows how to set up his blocks and has the vision and he can hit you know, backside gaps, he can hit a B gap on a power, on the backside power. So uh, it's, it's tough on a defense. And, yes, he doesn't have that breakaway speed, but all of those things you mentioned, I mean, all those statistics, I mean, on – even though he doesn't have that speed, he had 14 runs of 15-plus yards. That was tied for the fourth most uh, last year behind Roheem Mostert, Joe Mixon, and Chris Carson of the Seahawks. So even though he didn't play much or didn't get the attempts that maybe we'd like to see, 200 or two and a quarter maybe attempts on the ground, he was super effective when he did it. And that's why you know this season should be exciting because as you up his attempts, you know he's going to get even more uh, big runs and explosive plays, and we know, hope the, the Bills' offense have to. The Bills' offense has to be better in that department. They got to get more explosive plays. Well, they have to, and so I guess that's the thing is when you look at the rest of the makeup behind him, 
it sort of makes me nervous. I mean, you've got TJ Yeldon, who was our sparsely used backup for us, accumulating almost no stats worth talking about. He has a previous pedigree coming from Jacksonville as a third down back. Three down back. Three down. (laughs) As I sip my whiskey and just... Three down back, TJ Yeldon. Oh, God. I mean, you saw it at Alabama. Hey, I mean, he's a three down back, but 73% of his touches have been in the passing game. So I I don't know. Exactly, right? I mean, it's like, I don't know. He's a passing down back who's never been trusted to be more than that or just a spot starter. He doesn't play special teams, and he coughed the ball up a few times early on in the season, which you can tell it irked McDermott because he, he spent most of the season inactive. He was recently, though, as Chris keeps bludgeoning us over the head with, touted as a potential three-down back for whatever the hell that's worth. <laughs> I mean, when GMs speak that time of the season, you can't take any of it. you got to take it all with a grain of salt. Then right. you've got Christian Wade. Fan and media darling of the preseason. He's still on the roster. He's going to again try to dust it off and attempt to translate rugby with rare athleticism to real NFL football. Now, that might be one of the most... I'll say this as a fan. His runs might have been one of the most fun things about the preseason. Just watching this guy who you're like, oh, he's, he's trying to learn how to play football. I don't know how rugby trained. As someone who's lucky enough to have started watching rugby about a year and a half beforehand, I, he's fast even by rugby standards, by soccer standards. He's a fast guy. I mean, his speed and his explosiveness, is, and I think his contact balance. Again, I think it's a theme with this running back group is guys who can kind of shed contact while they're running. All of that was on display, but there's so much about the game of football that he just doesn't grasp. I mean, that seems to yeah. be the thing that's going to hold him back, right? Like running away from his blockers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, totally. You know, and, and you said it, Drew. He's learning football. I mean, at, at this at this stage for that position at running back, when you come from the college game and you go into the NFL, you know, you're not, you're not developing. You, you either have it or you don't. And I don't think Christian Wade is even in that developmental bucket. I think, he, as you said, he's in that learning the game bucket. And to me, given, you know, the position and the guys that they have, I I think, I mean, he's pretty much doesn't have a chance at all. I do like that, you know, the whole pipeline of bringing guys like Christian Wade over and trying to, you know, bring them into the game and teach them the game. But you said it. He's learning the game. He's learning the game on the fly. You can have the contact balance. He doesn't have the vision, obviously. We no, saw that last year. No, but well, one, of the cra- tackles, one of the crazy things, though, the is thing that is- he does the things. He, he just he continues to try to play rugby, even though it's football, as evidenced by the fact that, like, OK, it, what made his runs? I mean, here's an analogy I'll use for Christian Wade. I had a guy I was playing softball with one year. He'd never really played. He was still kind of learning the ropes. So we stuck him out in right field. Now, everybody knows if you're playing at a field with no fence and it's the soccer field behind us, so you have a mile of just open real estate to go. So there's no over-the-fence home runs, but everybody kind of knows the depth that you play the outfield in, Chris. I mean, it's slow-pitch softball. Even someone like me who's who's mediocre at best at it can figure that out. And here goes this kid... And all of a sudden, it's like the middle of the first, it's the middle of like the second inning, and we look, and he's standing a football field away from home plate. He's easily 300 feet from home plate. 
There's a semicircle and there's one idiot out in the middle of the field by himself. And he's not even looking around to see where his teammates are. He's analyzing his glove out in the outfield. This moose for the other team comes up to bat. Jacks, jacks one. Chris, this thing, if there was a, if we were playing in a park with a 300 foot fence, it still would have been rising as it cleared the fence. But because he was in the middle of nowhere where he shouldn't have been, he sees this ball, runs, and makes this diving catch and somehow comes up with it. And the ump has to rule the guy out, even though it was caught 500 feet from home plate. So after the inning's over, he comes up and he's like, hey, guys, did you see that spectacular play I made? And we all just started yelling at him because it's like, you shouldn't have been there. That's not how this works. What are you doing? And that's what Christian Wade did. When you watch his runs, he's running into contact because in yes. rugby, in rugby, Chris, when you have possession of the ball and you get tackled, the possession isn't over. All you do is you form a ruck, you pass the ball through the back of the pile, and it gets pitched out to somebody else, and your offense continues in the phase that it currently is. It, you can't do that in football. You can't run towards contact. <laughs> it flies in the face of everything every running back is taught. Since I mean, Eric, when you were a running back in high school, they taught you to run away from contact, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, if the 250 to 300-pound guy is trying to tackle me, I'm running away from him. I'm not trying to run through him. Uh, I mean, that's just common sense, and, and that's why I do think it's a, it's, it's going to be really difficult for a guy like Christian Wade to make the roster. I think a guy more like Antonio Williams has a better chance because he off, obviously offers some special teams, and he's played the game. So, I mean, well, I just I just think it's a great story of Wade, but I got nothing on him, man. Well, And then we've got Taiwan Jones. We're talking redo. Taiwan Jones is back. Why? <laughs> Who knows? I, Chris, do you know why Taiwan Jones is back on this roster? Special teams. What? I don't know. Here's what I see. He's a nine-year NFL vet, but what you see is what you get. The guy has logged double-digit rushing attempts twice in his entire career in a single game. He has one career touchdown. Last he's a, year against Buffalo. <laughs> no, he he's did. a special teams replacement for Senoris Perry. Uh-huh. A whole lot of people just went, who? What? Senoris, what are we talking about? They've already forgotten about him. He was a he's, he made a Reggie Bush-esque impact on the Buffalo Bills as a franchise, and then he disappeared into the night. He, he, when he was here, he was just a part-time player. And I, Chris, apparently Senoris Perry had three carries last year. Was I asleep? Eric, when did this happen? Do you You might have been this? getting a blue card. <laughs> Maybe the last game of the year. <laughs> I might have been getting yelled at by security at that point. What I know is it's he's in this weird tweener where you're not a run, you're not a threat to ever see the field as a running back, so you're nope. essentially a special teamer only. And that's a highly replaceable position considering the other wide receiver, cornerback, running back talent that's on the roster that could conceivably do that job. I mean, is he just a camp body to you? Uh, I mean, I'd like to say yes, but you mentioned Perry, and once they picked uh, Perry up last year, I want to say it was right after the bye week, um, you know, he, he played a lot of those special team snaps. The, the team has to get better on special teams. I mean, Heath Farwell's first season didn't go as well as he would have liked, and a lot, <laughs> no. of, a lot of that had to do with more of the kicking game, not necessarily the, the coverage game, but, uh, you know, Taiwan Jones uh, last year. Think back to the Miami 100. game. Think back to that Miami game. We just yep. scored an emphatic touchdown, Chris. We're going to run away with this game. We're going to blow these guys out. And then right before halftime, we give up a, a kickoff return for a touchdown. 
and you're just looking around going, well, all that momentum. <laughs> Let's go to the locker well, room and, and hope thing. we don't lose it. I mean, 197 snaps from Jones last year uh, total, and only 19 of them were either in the backfield as a running back or split out wide as a running back in a receiving situation. But 64 of his snaps, which is the most across all special teams units, came in kick coverage. So, as you just alluded to, that is probably where they're going to hope that he could help because he's fast. He's very fast, and obviously he they uh, you know want to um, you know cover kicks and cover punts better as well. But I think that's probably where he's going to hang his hat, and and maybe maybe the Bills make the playoffs, and uh, you know he makes a play like he did for the Texans, you know, for the Bills this year. Who knows? Who knows? And then we got two final guys. They're newcomers to the team. They're newcomers to the NFL. Zach Moss. Third round pick, one of the more highly touted running backs in the 20, 2020 draft class. Physical guy, got a nice amount of wiggle to his running style, generates positive yardage and big plays. And then we've got this guy, Antonio Williams. I know literally nothing about the guy. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I do. What can you tell me, Eric? <laughs> what can you tell me about Antonio <laughs> Williams? Well, there's not much film out there on him, so that's the first thing, but uh, his his uh, measurables are first of all 5'10", 5'11", 215. They are dead on with the Bills archetypes for the position. Um, obviously, the Bills are really high on processy guys. Matt Brown stuck his neck out for Antonio Williams. Said his leadership is top notch. Said he's one of his better traits is a pass blocker. And the one thing that I, I discovered yesterday, when kind of just looking through some of his his stats, was that you know in two seasons. He, he scored eight touchdowns, which doesn't sound like much because he was a, a guy that transferred from Ohio State. So he didn't play all that much for North Carolina. He only had 139 attempts for 826 yards in two seasons at North Carolina. And those eight touchdowns that he scored, seven of them were in the red zone. So there are a few things that you, you will like about a young guy, a guy that's obviously seen as a leader, a guy that could pick up some, some blocks you know, if thrown in there. Because TJ Yeldon as RB3 last year when he did play, his pass pro really, really disappointed me when I, it was something that I thought was a strength for him coming in. And so, I mean, special teams, too. It was, Antonio Williams was a, a special teamer. It's one of the things that he was known for and hung his hat on. So there are a few things that you could say, okay, Williams has a shot. But if you watch some of his film, the very little film that's out there, he's not going to pop off the film and, and flash as much as you'd like. He's, he's a guy that runs from pretty much B-gap to B-gap inside likes those power runs and setting up those runs um you know setting up those blockers uh but he's not a guy that's it's i think he's still a long shot but there's not much out there on him man but he's a guy obviously i'm rooting for just because um you know of the traits that he does bring he there are there's a chance that if uh say a moss goes down and they need someone to replace that role as a you know third and short guy fourth down and short guy red zone yada 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 those roles that gore had last year i think that williams um, you know, after getting some time on the practice squad, may be able to make a difference, uh, you know, down the line for the Bills. Now, Chris, one of the things we like to do on this podcast is come up with nicknames for our players. Last year, we uh, once we found out about the ridiculous wingspan of Daryl Johnson, he became the pterodactyl. Yep. Knowing that Antonio Williams has no film on him, he's just this big, thumping guy that nobody seems to have any tape on. Can we just refer to him as Bigfoot? Could he's just another he's just another Williams. He's just there's just a lot of blurry footage out there. Nobody really knows if it's Antonio Williams or not. There's no tape on him, no definitive tape. I think that fits. 
So when I look at the running group as a whole, in my eyes, I think it's a departure from tradition for the Buffalo Bills. Because for the first time in forever, we don't have a bell cow. I, I ran back through the numbers. The Bills have had one running back that accounted for 51% or more of our offensive snaps from 2012 all the way to 2018. And the only reason McCoy didn't extend that trend for another year was because, Chris, he spent a lot of time in 2018 on the shelf. I mean, that was just, I don't know, Eric, it was a hamstring injury, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and probably just him kind of protecting the bag. He's like, listen, I'm going to be a free agent. I know what this is. I'm not going to sell out for a bad football team. We'll just, maybe there was even a wink and nod agreement. Like, hey, if you don't screw us in terms of cap space, you just stick around this year. We'll cut you. We'll let you go wherever you want to go. It's going to be fine. Here's what I see. Or at least, hey, next year show up and we'll give you, you know, <laughs> we know that this offensive line is going to be bad. But we've been a team every year that has a clear-cut bell cow running back, and yet this year we're heading into the season with what looks like a real committee. There's things to like, but does that concern you? No, not really. Uh, I mean, that's the the NFL, and and you gotta ha- you know hats off to to Brandon Bean. And you know, one thing that his coaching staff does really well is self scout. You know, they understand their strengths and weaknesses, and and they address it. And Bean has done that in the draft, in free agency since he's been in Buffalo. And I think that um, you know, given how they have structured their roster when it comes to young running backs, you know, specifically third third round running backs. And again, you talked about the trace of those running backs in Singletary and Moss. I think he's doing what the NFL has trended towards. And, you know, that is also the best approach when you're talking about long term uh, at the running back position. Because, OK, when these guys contracts are up, are they going to have those 1600 yard seasons, 1800 yard seasons that are going to get them massively paid? Probably not. You know, if they're both health, healthy, hypothetically, which is a long shot altogether. I mean, those contracts are still going to be quite modest. And, you know, you can get into a debate about signing running backs to their second contract. But I just think when you have a committee, I think that lowers the ceiling of, of, of a contract at that running back position. I think that's what Brandon Bean wants. Just want to take a second to remind you all that there is no shortage of action going on over to our partners, betonline.ag. Sports, they're making their way back. And BetOnline is leading the way with the best odds and lines for UFC, NASCAR, boxing, international football matches. If you need even more than that, if real action isn't enough, they have simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC simulations all day, every day, streaming live on their website that you can wager on. Looking for something else other than sports? BetOnline has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets you can go check out. Visit betonline.ag and use the promo code BLUEWIRE, that's B-L-U-E-W-I-R-E, all one word, for a free welcome bonus. One word, BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. But we talked about it during the uh, salary cap primer we did earlier on in the preseason process, or the just at, shortly after the season ended. The three highest paid running backs in football, none of them played a playoff game this year. And only one of them had 1,000 yards. <laughs> so... And then when you looked at the production, there was 30 running backs that had over 1,000 yards or five touchdowns or more. And of all the running backs who hit those thresholds, 22 of them were on rookie deals. So to your point, that is the way the NFL is trending, is look, bring some young guys in here who pound the rock, who you can kind of run the tread off of, and you don't have to worry about being married to them long term. When I look at this group, what I see is you've got Singletary, dynamic weapon last year in the open field. 
but then he's got two touchdowns. Yeldon, his lack of playing time, I, I just I don't see I don't see a proven home run threat anywhere here, or a truly intimidating red zone weapon. They're a deep group, but I don't see any high end appeal. So regardless, Chris, I don't think our running back group is any uh, one that's going to scare teams. Like on paper, there's no defensive coordinator that's going, oh man, oh, I'm going to have to face that Buffalo Bills running back stable. But when you look around, just to my eye, they're one of the best values in the NFL right now with upside and the cheap contracts and the cost control that they have. They have the ability to kind of play it cheap with running back for a while and still get high-end production as a unit. So now when we talk about what we want to see coming out of out of the preseason process, I mean, every year we go into it thinking about what success might look like. For running backs, what's that going to look like and what are you looking for out of the group as they start to get into live-action practices? For me... One of the huge ones is Singletary has got to stand out as a playmaker. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would totally agree. And I think that'll naturally happen. Again, we're talking about the running back position. So it's not like, uh, say, the receiver position who is heavily dependent on the quarterback. So, you know, naturally, Singletary and Moss, you know, given their talent, they should stand out. And uh, Motor, again, if he's given the RB1 reps that we are expecting – I think that he's obviously going to stand out. He stood out last year, hands down. I mean, he was just flashing everywhere. But I, the two things I need to see out of Singletary better this year, um, partly related to the staff, is using him as a receiver. Because when they did that towards the end of the year, second half of the year, when they started giving him most of the reps, he was pretty dynamic in some of his route running, and the ball didn't, didn't always go to him. So I'd like to see him as a pass catcher, especially out wide when they go to their empty sets. Secondly... His pass blocking has to be better. <laughs> they There were some really good reps from him on film, surprisingly good reps from him on film because it's not something he did a lot of in college. So a lot of people were like, wow, this guy is pretty good. You know, he called off this play action fake and picked up this uh, block from the off the, you know, off the edge there. Um, he did have some nice plays like that, but he also blew some dual read assignments and, you know, <laughs> not to break it down and get into the weeds of this. Basically, sometimes on a running back, and a passing play, a running back will have a dual read, which means, okay, you know, given the defensive front, I got to pick up the A gap to the D gap. You know, the Mike linebacker yeah. who's stacked over the A or the Will linebacker who's stacked over the D. Now, he'll read inside out. Everyone understands that portion of it. But sometimes he was too late to get out wide. So he's stuck in his A gap a little too long, didn't get out to the D gap to pick up the Will. That's the thing I need to see better from him, just a quicker reaction. And I think – Obviously, given that full, full season of film that he can go back and look at and understanding the offense, I think naturally he'll be better in that department. But I agree. I think he's got. I think he will stand out though, naturally, just because he's that talented. And you know, I want him to stand out in those other two areas that I had mentioned. Here's what I think about Devin Singletary heading into the season, Chris. And I have to crack a beer because I, this, this is penance. This beer is terrible, but I'm going to drink it. So last season during the draft coverage of our Rock Sports Network, our longtime listeners have an understanding that I don't know what the hell I'm talking about when it comes to the draft. I have no idea, which is why we bring in experts to talk to us about it. Correct, Chris? Yes. Yes, that's why we get Matt Waldman on to discuss running backs. <laughs> so we're doing a live broadcast of the draft coverage over at Rock Sports Network. And when I had literally just gotten done saying that based on what we had done in the first round and in the second round, 
All we needed was one more stud pick and it would cement this draft as a solid A in my book. And I'm looking at the number of quality wide receivers and the defensive players that are still out there and available. And we go on to draft this diminutive running back that I never, Chris, I never considered him a fit for the Bills roster. I flipped my tablet and I put my head down and people went nuts about it. The tweets, the GIF image that I did. Yeah, it haunted us all season. The gifts, and then I believe in the bar they had changed the the TVs to NBA basketball, and so we didn't actually see the pick. <laughs> so nobody knew why I was upset. They were just like, "Why did that guy throw his computer? Like, what what just happened?" And, and as traditionally happens, I'm wrong. I was wrong. I'll say it again for you in the team seats. Singletary comes in and has 5.1 yards per carry. 6.7 yards per reception. To your point, Eric, he really came out in the passing game late in the year. 775 yeah. yards and two touchdowns. And Chris, they did the McDermott thing where they slowly eased him into the offense. He only he only had more than 10 carries once in the first six weeks. But he finished as the team's most heavily used running back. They massaged him into the game because they had Frank Gore in front of him. He's not going to have that luxury this year. Here's what I think. Just philosophically hear me out on this, Chris. Maybe you, I'm sure, Eric, you remember. I thought back to Chris Johnson. Now, he's a different type of athlete. CJ2K, and I'm not trying to make the comparison to Devin Singletary. What I'm saying is that first year, it reminded me of this. Johnson was amazing that first year between the 20s. He would do the heavy lifting when he needed to get out in space. He would eat up chunk yardage. And then anytime they got into the red zone, they would pull him off the field and replace him with Lendale White. Veteran running back, heavy guy, could take a hit and they'd get him in there and he would do the... He had 14 touchdowns that season, but he only touched the ball in the red zone. That was essentially the dynamic that Singletary gave gave the Bills in 2019. I'm going to be a stud between the 20s, but when we get into the red zone, we're going to start kind of... We're going to lean towards Frank Gore. So for me, I'd say coming out of 2020's camp, I need to see some more of the things that sing, from Singletary that can make me feel like he can be a useful red zone weapon. Because I think that would round out his game. I think that would up his statistics. And I think it would also allow our offense to be more multifaceted. Would you agree with me on that? Yeah, you know, and the thing is, if you go back to his final year uh, at in college, uh, talk about Devin Singletary, he scored 18 out of his 22 touchdowns in the red zone. He had a 39.7% broken tackle percentage in the red zone. So in 16 out of 22 of those touchdowns were in goal-to-go situations. He can do it. He just wasn't given the opportunity, as you just said. He All those those attempts either went to Gore or Josh Allen. And, you know, you, you talked about the Bills having, you know, being better in the red zone. Well, I do think it starts with not only Josh Allen, but it's, it's Devin Singletary. I think he is sneaky good in the red zone, but people kind of forgot about that, about him coming out of college, because as you said, he was so dynamic and, though, and efficient in those, uh, you know, from the 20 to the 20 that they were like, okay, you know, we, he got us there. Let's go ahead and put Gore. And that's why we brought Frank Gore, you know, to the bills to, to fulfill those third and fourth short uh, situations under four minutes, closing games out. And then of course the red zone. So, I mean, Gore last year, 37% of the, the attempts in the red zone. I mean, that's crazy. And so, uh, you know, I, I want to see motor, uh, 
get some more touches. He needs the opportunity because it's something that he did really well because he's so good in a phone booth. And the more guys that are in the box, the better he can be and the more he can play above the scheme, more so than any running back on this on the roster. See, Chris, I'm really excited to watch his development and see what he's learned from year one to year two. My you- thing for training camp is, I mean, I have Eric, you'll probably have to answer this, is now that we have Zach Moss, Devin Singletary, is there a chance that Daybold runs two-back sets? Because I, I don't know what our percentage was last year of running two-back sets, but is that going to be a thing in the offense this year with either of them? I, I, I mean, if you're talking two-backs, uh, split-backs, and Moss and Singletary, I think that'll, you know maybe they do a little bit of it. But, I mean, if I recall correctly, I don't think – they started doing it till either one of the the second Patriots game or even the wild card game. I think we saw it to start the game where they faked the run to Gore and then swung it out there to Singletary on a swing screen. But they didn't do it that often. I mean, I know it's something that people that play Madden love to do and love to talk about. I mean, I, I mean, not a week goes by where I don't get that question about uh, you know putting those two backs in at the same time. I'd love to see it because. Uh, I mean, you look back at what Lamar Jackson did in, in, in Greg Roman's offense last year and, you know, running some of the, the tight ends back there, back there or even some of the running backs that they had um, used. Uh, you could do a lot of that option read, you know, zone read type stuff with the running backs they have, but I don't know. It's it's a long shot. I think it's a long shot. It's not going to be a base part of their offense. They're going to they're gonna keep it quite traditional, I think, unless, uh, you know, the game is really big and, you know, we saw it a few years ago. It was against the Patriots, too. Remember when Shady and I think it was Carlos Williams at the time? That was a night game. You guys remember that? Carlo- I mean, they, they waited to bust it out till then. Carlos Williams, I remember drunkenly calling WGR 550 and waiting on hold for an hour because I thought I had a point to make about Carlos Williams being the future of the Bills running back position. And when Chopin the Bulldog answered, I gave them just a drunken stream of consciousness rant then realized that I was crashing and burning and just ejected out of the phone call. And I, I didn't get to hear the audio like the rest of it for years. And then finally, like I went and like looked it up just out of morbid curiosity. I'm like, I can go back. I can stream it online. They were speechless. And all they did was just say, well, that call happened. Next one. Who's a, who has something intelligent to talk to me about? Which is why we started a podcast, because I wanted to stop bothering the local radio station. So the other thing I want to leave training camp with this year, that, I wanted, I, that I'd be able to call it a success in terms of the running back group, is walking away with a true sense of who Zach Moss is. Now, I got burned on the Singletary pick, and Chris, I overreacted when we didn't... The Bills were on the clock in the second round, and we took A.J. Epinesa instead of... Uh, what's the running back out of OSU? Went to Dobbs. Baltimore. Drafted, Baltimore drafted him. Yeah. Dobbs? Yeah. Dobbs. Dobbins. 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 When that happened, I became on, again, on a live stream, which is why you can't put me on these things. They do. Thank God. God bless them. I love them <laughs> for it. But you can't put me on there when I'm able to openly drink in my own home. Because now, because of COVID, we were live streaming from home. <laughs> I came off the rails about the fact that we didn't take a dynamic offensive player and instead took that D-end. And I watched him go to the Ravens, and in my head, I'm like, well, the rich get richer. The, the Moss pick was kind of some salve on the wound for me, because I was like, okay, well, at least we got a running back. I'd like to think, though, that I've, I've kind of learned not to judge a book by its cover, but Chris, it's still going to happen. 
Yeah, every year. It'll happen next April. He's touted as a wide receiver without (laughs) elite size or speed. Now, we all love draft analyst and annual Rockpile Report guest Matt Waldman. Chris, I refer to him as the Barry White of draft analysis. He's got that awesome baritone voice. Chris, he's smooth like butter. Oh, yeah. What did you say uh, when he was on? Uh, You'd be standing outside your house with you watching it burn down, and he could be talking about it and... Everything will be fine. Oh, just, yeah. Just because of his smooth he, voice. He can just be smoothing things. Oh, your house <laughs> is burning down. But what you don't understand is that. <laughs> so when we drafted Zach Moss, Chris, being the great producer that he is, immediately sent Matt Waldman an email and just said, hey, can I get your can I get your thoughts on Zach Moss wearing a Bills helmet? Now, he could have just shot us a two sentence email, just a blurb explaining his thoughts, or he could have just said, hey, I like that. But because he's a damn professional, one of the finest in his craft, he sent us almost seven minutes of audio that Chris was able to condense down into what we teased in tonight's open, this clip. I really like this because I compared Zach Moss to Travis Henry before the draft. Both have a low center of gravity. They're excellent you know, in terms of contact balance. They're good after-contact players. Moss is also a player who has terrific flexibility. That's a little different than Henry and really different from many backs in the league. Uh, The last back I saw with the level of flexibility I saw from Zach Moss was Ricky Williams. And then maybe a back who also possesses that kind of underrated flexibility in terms of his legs and hips and ability to take contact, hard contact, to his lower body and kind of displace it a little bit due to that flexibility and maintain his footing is Nick Chubb, who arguably is one of the very best running backs in the NFL today. Now, he's not a, he's not a burner. Um, he has enough quickness to be a contributor in the league, and a lot like Devin Singletary, they both are guys with excellent decision-making, good peripheral vision. Neither are spectacular athletes at the running back position. They're good enough to play in the league, but it's their vision and footwork and their aggression that compensates for that lack of top-shelf athletic skill. Singletary and Moss, both guys are are physical players willing to get physical, but Moss is more of a bruiser, whereas Singletary is a little bit more of a a guy who's going to look for that open space and try and avoid direct contact. And I think Moss has that element to his game as well, but you see where one is more the scat back, one is more pronounced as a power back. Now, Moss also has the added element of being an excellent pass protector. Utah often matched him up one-on-one against edge defenders um, in their passing game, and he handled the job very well. I think he's going to continue to improve in that respect. You know, a back who can be used in those three-down packages or in, in certain situations where they want him to pass protect. So to me, you kind of have a, a really nice... Um, element where the common denominator between Singletary and Moss is that they're physical and smart and savvy, um, where one's a little bit more scat back, one's a little bit more power back. They should work well together. And that's Matt Waldman from our show back in April. A lot of information there to digest. Well, that's not even what he said at the time. That's what he sent to you when you emailed him and asked him for a reaction. Yeah, he sent me like three minutes and I cut it down. I was only able to like take out 40 seconds of it because it was just so much information. Now, we love that guy. Now, Eric, having heard that, here's the thing. That all sounds really good. I guess the question is, what are your thoughts on Moss's fit as a rookie knowing the way not only McDermott likes to 
kind of handle playing time and exposure, but also his own personal skill set. I mean, do you think that they can kind of play off of each other? How do you see that 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 fit being between the two of them as far as playing time is concerned? Uh, that's I mean, that's a great question, and I'm going to tie it right back to what Matt said because he was spot on as uh, we're talking about Moss as a pass blocker. Uh, earlier in in this uh, in this recording, we talked about Singletary and some of the pass blocking issues that he dealt with on those dual read concepts. So I brought my notes up on Zach Moss prior to the draft. And the two things I wrote down in pass under pass blocking was he squared up linebackers at, against uh, he squared up guys in the a gap uh, blitzers in the a gap stoned uh, stoned two linebackers in the game one of the games I watched and then the second was he was smooth and balanced across the formation to pick up late edge rushers squaring him up as well and that squaring him up and coming across the formation is important because it's something I talked about that Devin he struggled with last year. And obviously Moss at Utah had the responsibility of dual reads uh, in his offense. And it's something that obviously we talked about Devin really didn't have to do a lot of. And so while Devin is developing in that area, when you throw Moss in there as a pass blocker, he has the ability to square a guy up and meet someone at the line of scrimmage and set and you know establish that line of scrimmage not on his side of the ball. So that's that's one thing that Matt was spot on about. And when looking back at my notes, it totally matched up with what he said. Uh, now, as far as uh, their you know dynamic, uh, they are two separate backs, but. Yep. Uh, you know, Matt gets into the minutia in his in his rookie scouting <laughs> portfolio. He loves and it. Of course, our, our guys do too. And, and he's 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 the best. He really is the best. And he's as you guys said, he will. If you have a question, you hit him up, and he'll give you his two cents and then some. And he he's one of the best at it. So um, the dynamic t- between the two running backs, they are slightly different. But what do they do well? They break tackles. You know, they do it in their own ways. You know, as Matt said, you know. Uh, Moss is more of that battering ram style. He does have flexibility. I'm glad he mentioned that too. One of the notes I had on him was he uses his offhand to absorb and redirect tacklers and that offhand. So if he's right-handed, carrying the ball in his right hand, his offhand would be his left. Anytime he would, uh, a guy would try to hit him from the waist up, he would cover the ball and use his offhand to sh- to not only shield the ball, but to kind of break the tackle, break the arm tackle, kind of um, rip up to break the tackle or when the guys took him low, knees him below, because a lot of DBs don't want to hit a guy like Moss square on. They go for his legs. What he would do is he would his legs would get swept out from under him, but he would put his hand down to keep his balance to stay up and to get five, seven, nine more yards on the play. So, yes, that flexibility and that offhand by Moss is just fantastic. So, in the end, both guys are dynamic in their own ways, but they break tackles. And as we all know, guys, breaking tackles at the collegiate level translates very well to the NFL, and I, I think we saw that with both Motor and hope to see that with Moss come this season. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Is it what, a, a business decision? Oh, that's what he said. Yeah, in his pre- yeah. He was like, look, I like to make guys make business decisions. That's how I play football. I go back to the – you're talking about using his, using his kind of arms – Everything Moss is geared towards is creating separation between would-be tacklers and kind of just contact. It's contact, 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 and by the fourth quarter, you're not going to want it. Something Mar- It was something Marshawn Lynch preached. He said, hey, if you run through a guy's face mask for three quarters, by the time the fourth rolls around, he doesn't want it anymore. He's tired. You wore him out. I'm looking back at this game, though. People who don't think he has explosion to his game. Oregon State. Last year, Utah goes into Oregon State, and Zach Moss touches the ball five times. 
He has five carries for 121 yards and two touchdowns. Because in those games, you in, the, in some of those runs, you watch him shedding tacklers. Just shedding guys. Stiff-arming guys. He'll throw a little wiggle at a guy and get him off balance and then cut past him to where he knows that guy can't land a solid tackle. He's not going to burn anyone, but from what you see here, it has to make you hopeful that some of that will translate to the NFL. Now, here's the thing I think about when it comes to the two of these guys put together, Chris. The 2016 Atlanta Falcons. From 2013 to 2015, Devonta Freeman, he's not a slouch at running back, but they were a mediocre rushing team. 2015 was running back Tevin Coleman's rookie season. And he was kind of the way McDermott likes to throttle back his rookies. He was only used on 19% of the snaps compared to Devonta Freeman's 67. And again, they were a mediocre team in 2015. In 2016, their new look offensive line that they signed in 2015 finally gelled. And then Coleman saw more usage. They upped it to 33%, specifically in the red zone, because I remember being in fantasy football, having Devonta Freeman, and cursing Tevin Coleman out. Because they get in the red zone and pull Freeman off the field and put this kid in who would just batter and ram his way into the end zone. That season, the Falcons went from 19th in terms of rushing to 5th, and they ranked 3rd in touchdowns. And that massive uptick in red zone scoring came on the back of that rookie who brought a different dynamic than Devonta Freeman, who Devin Singletary has often been kind of, people have made corollaries to the two. Considering the comparables there, do you think that the addition of Zach Moss could have a similar effect if he's given the snaps to really make an impact in those areas of the field? Do you think he could have a similar effect to that for the Buffalo Bills? I mean, the question really is, I mean, the way they used Gore last year, can Moss at least fill that, especially early on as he's getting his feet wet? And, you know, because as you mentioned, uh, the staff likes to kind of work those guys in slowly. I mean, if you talk about the the role that Gore played last year, I think Moss can easily fill uh, a lot of those roles. Um, So I do think that you will see um, a material difference from you know, the roles that Gore played last year to Moss. It's going to be pretty obvious. And we saw Gore's legs kind of lose their juice last year. So um, I don't know. What are you talking about? He's an old man. He's in terms in football years, he's almost ready to collect social security. I mean, he's (laughs) Chris. If you had seen him getting off the bus with a cane, you wouldn't have been surprised. I would have thought that that was Earl Campbell. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, you think about, like the red zone because this is the big thing we've been talking about it all show red zone and being able to score in the red zone gore last year 26 attempts in the red zone 33 yards two touchdowns moss 39 attempts 159 yards 11 touchdowns and he broke a tackle 30.8 percent of the time moved the chains you know gained first down 38.5 percent of the time so that 28.2 percent touchdown percentage those 11 touchdowns the bills need that and they need someone aside from josh allen to step up and not only fill Gore's role, but become a threat because I said Brian Dable overall, I thought he schemed pretty well in the red zone using, you know, a lot of split action, whether it's a tight end coming across the formation or Isaiah McKenzie on the fake jet sweeps. They did some good things to get the second level linebackers eyes in other places, but they just need someone that can, you know, ram it down the middle, right? You know, in those B gaps, in those A gaps, 
and break tackles. I, I, and like I said, I think Singletary can do that to an extent because he's not only he's small and he can break tackles. Uh, he can get behind that offensive line and hide and, and, and you know hit those creases. But I think Moss, you will see a material difference in those specific roles that Gore played. I mean, it's going to be that's pretty obvious, right? Oh, I, I, you have to hope so. You pray that a younger player who's kind of in that mold can come in and just be a hammer for you in those. Because listen, ultimately, we'd all love to watch our quarterback. We, Chris, you love it when Josh Allen runs into the end zone in Dallas. Yeah. You love watching your quarterback just take off, cut the corner, hit the pylon, and get up and throw the football almost into the dugout seats there. Yeah. You yeah, love to see that. That's great. It's great TV. You know what I don't want is my quarterback taking any more f-ing hits. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> the guy has gotten battered to pieces over the course of his career thus far. And it's one of those things that he even talked about it on a podcast recently with uh, Mark Sanchez. Mark Sanchez. Fourth and yeah. forever. He talked about how early on in the game he likes contact because that's yeah. what gets the blood pumping for him. It's not, hey, some quarterbacks talk about, Chris, how in order to get into a rhythm, they need to, okay, give me a couple easy pitch and catches. Give me a quick slant. Give me a screen. Give me this. Josh Allen goes, hey, I call it, I tell Dable, I want an RPO in the first two or three plays because I want to take a hit. I want to take a hit because that's what gets me engaged in the football game. That's terrifying if you're a football fan. Because you look my quarterbacks out here looking for contact. So you don't want to be relying on him when you get down into the red zone. You want to know that you have a battering ram that you can throw out there so that you can take a couple licks off your quarterback. Does that make sense? Let's be honest here. We know who Josh Allen is. And Josh Allen's game is predicated on his legs. I mean, there's no way around it. And so when you get into the red zone, you got to have design plays that either give him a run-pass read spread the defense out, empty sets, where he does run it, kind of what happened on that play in Dallas. That was actually a pass play that was not open. He ran it in. Uh, you got you can't take that away from him. That is, that is when the Bills are at their best, especially in the red zone, it's when they have Josh Allen as a run-pass option. So, I mean, last year on, on, on third or fourth and short, Josh Allen, as I said, he was a huge weapon for the Bills. He converted a first down 77.3% of the time. And so when you get into the red zone and you have a guy like that that can extend drives, uh, extend plays uh, with his legs or his arm. You got to use it. You, you have to put it in the playbook. And so, yes, I do think that maybe Zach Moss can come in there, or even Singletary, as we talked about earlier, can play uh, better in that role or in the red zone. Uh, and I think they will. I think they'll have a little more balance in that regard. Um, but I still think that the Bills are going to be at their best scoring points when Josh Allen's legs have something to do with it. So now every show that we do in this training camp series, we talk about key battles. I, I don't know that there's a battle here so much as it's a question. TJ Yeldon. Now, is there a fight to be had for running back two? Is he running back three? And if he's running back three, is there still a place for him in this offense? Yeah, I mean, we talked about earlier, are, are the Bills going to go to more of uh a traditional like are they going to stay in that traditional role type running back you know by committee with Moss being the hammer Singletary being the, you know that that lightning um you know we heard Bean talk about it earlier in the offseason about Yeldon yes he's a three down black yada 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 don't believe it um I think Yeldon does resemble 
Singletary more than he would Moss. I think their game, um, you know, is more similar. And so with that said, I, I don't think Yeldon is going to be an RB2. First of all, he's not going to be an RB2. That'll be Moss. But I think uh, Bean had talked about it, uh, that he wants his RB3 to more resemble the starter. And I think that's the way it you know, kind of sets up on paper. And honestly, I'd like to keep it that way too because uh, Singletary and Moss are the front runners. They are RB1 and RB2 without question in my mind. Yeldon, he just doesn't have the vision, the balance. The guy's always getting tripped up by the weakest tackles. And as I said, his pass blocking last year was sketchy at best. And I just think he, he doesn't bring all that much outside of a spot starter, as you had mentioned at the top of the show. Well, and that's essentially it. His, listen, coming out of Alabama, he was one, he's, he's the integral part of what I, I in my head, I'm referred, referred to as the drive. If you ask any LSU fan what the Alabama drive was, they'll probably throw a beer in your face. Because they remember where they were when A.J. McCarron methodically kind of dinked and dunked his way down the field until they got to the edge of the red zone. And it was just a shallow pass to T.J. Yeldon. And you watch T.J. Yeldon slide like a bar of soap through four tackles on his way to the end zone for a touchdown with less than a minute left on the clock. And that was it. Alabama went on to win the game in Death Valley and... LSU fans were pissed because that was their shot. That was the best shot they had had in years. Yeldon has a little bit of that, but he's never displayed it the way Singletary has. So it's always been interesting to me how he fits into this group and why he's still here. Do you believe in your heart of hearts that he is, do you think he's a lock for the 53? Or do you think that if one of these guys, I mean, I know you said that Antonio Williams, Christian Wade, Taiwan, Taiwan Jones is a non-factor on offense as it is. Do you think they'll go three with TJ Yeldon and make him active on game days in order to kind of bring that Singletary-esque dynamic while giving him a breather? Or do you think there's anybody here on the roster who can push him for that job? No, I think the job is pretty much locked up for Yeldon, of course, unless injuries or something happen. But as I talked about with Antonio Williams, um, while he doesn't have the receiving chops that Yeldon has, uh, I think, you know, with the way that the first two running backs are set up and the traits that they bring, I do think that Yeldon, his special teams snaps is going to be pretty important because, as I said, there are some traits that the Bills like with Antonio Williams, which is why they brought him in. And one of those things is special teams. And so while he may not have the receiving chops that Yeldon does, Guess what? Special teams is still, you know, a third of what is important to the team. And I think Antonio Williams can push TJ Yeldon in that department. It's something that he hung his hat on at North Carolina. Chris, people forget the name Jonathan Williams. Jonathan Williams was a running back the Bills drafted in the fifth round. And then when McDermott came to town, they cut him because he didn't play special teams. And he was like, well, I, I got no use for you then. You're a backup running back who doesn't do anything else for me but sit on the bench. In that way, you could look at a guy like Antonio Williams and go, well, and, and it's not that Jonathan Williams was bad. He most recently resurfaced over on the Colts and had, what, I think two 100-yard games last season? No idea. He, he showed up out of nowhere and had a couple good games, proving that he has NFL talent. It's just, 
our coaching staff decided, listen, we we want the multifaceted guys. That dynamic is going to be yeah, interesting. Yeah, hands down. That's going to be interesting to watch as training camp plays out. Now, for each one of our guests that we bring in for this training camp preview series, we ask for a bold prediction. It's not stuck to the running back group or anything in particular. Just your bold prediction coming out of this training camp and this preseason process. Oh, boy. Oh, man. I'm uh, not really a bold predictions guy, but um, I'd say maybe the wide receiver position. I think a lot of fans look at who they drafted in Hodgins and Gabe Davis, and you know they obviously still have Andre Roberts, and it's going to be an awesome competition for the bottom half of the depth chart when it comes to the receiver position. I think... You know, obviously, Robert Foster is in a make-or-break uh, year, and I think he's going to push those guys a lot more than people expect. And, you know, one of those things that, you know, we just you know started talking about was special teams. I thought he did a pretty good job at, on punt coverage last year. And if he can, you know, get in the good graces of the special team staff, show that he's working and, and paying his dues there still this offseason and camp and whatnot – and, you know, again, keep that deep threat because that guy is fast. And I know a lot of people love the Isaiah McKenzie role of the jet sweeps, those touch passes in the backfield. Robert Foster can still do that. And Robert Foster is big enough to play on the outside, not just in the slot, unlike Isaiah McKenzie. McKenzie is mainly a slot player. So a lot of people love this Isaiah McKenzie and the role he plays. But I think Robert Foster could just as easily take the spot that McKenzie's vying for, the role that McKenzie's vying for. I think people are still... Uh, kind of sleeping on Robert Foster. Uh, obviously, we saw flashes of him a couple years ago, but um, I, I think while it's not a huge bold prediction, I think he's going to open some eyes maybe in camp, and if he can, you know, stay consistent with it and and stay motivated, I think he has a chance to push those guys that even the guys they brought in. Jesus, there's nothing I, yeah. I hate. There's nothing <laughs> yeah, I hate. Chris. There's nothing I hate more than when Drew makes a point on a previous podcast, and then we bring on somebody smarter than him, and they make a similar point. <laughs> oh, what I miss! What I, I miss. bet them last week with Nate Geary. My bold prediction for the wide receiver position was that Robert Foster was not only going to make the roster, he was going to be wide receiver number four because he's, his career high in targets is only twenty-seven. He, he's gonna he's gonna break that. He's gonna break that this season as wide receiver number four. And they all took my Seagram's bet. To hear what? this is how I felt, Chris. This is like a, almost how I felt week one. Week one last year, we're at Batavia Downs in Thurman Thomas's sports bar, and we're doing a broadcast at halftime with Thurman Thomas. But before he comes out and puts a headset on, we start broadcasting, and I say, my first thing is, where is the running game? Why are the Bills not running the football? And everyone goes, well, Drew, you got to do this. You got to do that. And then Thurman Thomas comes down. He sits down. He he put a headset on him. And the first question he asks, where the hell are these running backs? And I took my headset. I threw it across. And I walked off. I walked off like Batista hitting a home run. (laughs) That's how I feel right now, Chris, because someone smarter than me agrees with my. (laughs) That's like the same exact point. Like and the other thing is okay, and the reason I say this, obviously special teams. I think, like I said, he he did pretty well in that department. But a couple years ago, the only guy that Josh Allen had any type of, um, you know, I don't know, chemistry connection with, 
the chemistry with on deep balls. It was Robert Foster on those deep crosses and even on some of those go routes even in the red zone that he was throwing back shoulder passes to this guy when, again, he's not a really big guy, but he's an average wide receiver, you know, uh, with his size. And obviously his speed is just unreal. And he can do all the things that McKenzie did uh, in that role, as I said. But I think if there's any way, if there's if Josh Allen does improve on the deep ball or at least marginally improve, to make it a threat in the offense, to make defenses get out of man coverage, something he saw a ton of last year. I think Robert Foster could help him do that. And the the change from Robert Foster's coming out year to last year was that obviously the Bills had better weapons. They didn't have to rely on him. He was not the first read or alert player on a go route in a pass off a play action or off a three-by-one set. So last year he was the third or fourth option running that go route late, Josh Allen sees him late down the field, 40, 50 yards down the field, and was not able to connect through a lot of uncatchable balls towards his in his direction. So I think it, that's if there's a bold prediction coming out of me, I think that would be my semi-bold prediction. <laughs> Eric, it's hysterical to me that this is all played out the way it has. You and when we all first got together, you, me, and Chris, you were living yep. in a place next to a set of train tracks. Yep. And I was living next to a police station and a firehouse. So every time the two of us got together, the three of us got together for a podcast, it would be interrupted by both the train and a police siren. <laughs> and it was one of the fu- like, I still look back at those episodes and I laugh because I'm like, wow, we. <laughs> yeah. We- yeah. I mean, your podcast was one of the first ones I actually probably appeared on. I mean, God, so long ago, guys, man. It, it actually, we do have it on, I think, on record from a previous show that we are your first podcast slash radio hit was the Rockpile Report. <laughs> That's it's incredible, yes, and it's incredible to me that today we can still get together and do this. Much love to you and the family. Hope you guys are well. Why don't you tell everybody what you have coming up over at CoverOne.net and where they can find you on social media as if they didn't already know. The uh, YouTube channel, our YouTube channel, Cover One, because I've been working through the season, mainly the offensive side of the ball. And I'm trying to put together a video library of breakdowns on the Bills offense. A lot of it the passing game, a lot of it the pinnacle stuff that we talked about. Basically trying to put a library together of the Bills base concepts so that, you know, people that don't really understand football from an X's and O's standpoint. Chris? Chris? um, you, You know, you can watch these two and three minute videos and take something out of it and then take it even further if you want to. Okay, now we have 12 videos of the same play of Josh Allen throwing the dagger concept, throwing a mesh concept from the entire year, and you can see what he did wrong or what factors led to him throwing an inaccurate ball. Like, you know, again, as we talked about at the top, Tom House said, head control, shoulder tilt, all those things are broken down in these two- to three-minute plays on our YouTube channel. So that's what I've been working through um, almost through the Dallas Cowboy game, so I still got a few games to go. But that's mainly what I'll be dropping uh, pretty much on a daily basis. I dropped the two to three videos, short videos on our YouTube channel. So go ahead and check that out on YouTube. Guy, thank you so much. Thank you for coming. Guys, another informative training camp show, but we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. That's Eric Turner. And this has been the Rockpile Report. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. 
Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.